We'll get right at it. Uh, Revelation chapter number 11 in your Bibles, if you would. Uh, Revelation chapter 11. There's a chapter in the Bible all the cults brutalize. It's this one. And there's a reason they brutalize it and tear it to shreds and make a mess out of it and confuse it half to death. And uh, we'll look at that here uh, tonight. Probably won't get too far into the chapter, but that's all right. I want to run some references with you and uh, make sure you got a full understanding of what we're getting into here. Uh, let's read the text, Revelation 11, verse 1. And there was a great, given me a reed like unto a rod. Uh, this is a, a form of measuring. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Man, wouldn't that be great? You know, you're out street preaching, and they come up, jump in your face, and you just, you know. <laughs> What'd you say again? One guy lit, uh, lit Billy up yesterday, because he come by, and his son said, little boy he turned and said, uh, uh, what'd he say? what do he say? you got to trust Jesus, or something like that? And the dad, uh, um, turn him and said, uh, no, son, he said, trust the turtle nation or something like that, right? And like grabbed the, he had to track, grab the track out of his hand and threw it in the trash. And uh, Billy turned around and said, uh, something about it's better for a millstone to be tied into your neck and cast into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. He said, I said, trust Jesus in your heart, son. And I'm like, Billy, don't. Wouldn't it be great if you're preaching in the tribulation and they come up and do that stuff, you know, come up and say, yeah, you're a pedophile just because you're preaching. Randomly, by the way, the ones that were saying that stuff were the women. You're a pedophile. Uh, out of the blue. Like, out of the blue. There weren't any kids around. Wouldn't it be great to just be like, oh, you know, what'd you say, woman? You know, uh, you're projecting your filth on me is what you're doing. Either that or... You're watching the news media and you believe everything they say about the Catholic Church and a lot of it's true and then you're thinking that we're them. Right. That's the way the devil sets the stuff up. It'll get worse, don't worry. Just to encourage you, you know, it'll get worse. Uh, if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will kill them, he must in this manner be killed. Will hurt them, excuse me, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And of power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. 
And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake there were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. The seventh angel soundeth, and there was great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of, our, of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. The four and twenty elders which sat before God saw the, which sat before God on their seats fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. See that? And they were seen in his temple, the ark of his testament. So, uh, was that Raiders of the Lost Ark? Who was the actor on that thing? Harrison Ford? <laughs> He ain't never going to find the temple. You know why? The things in, the, the, I'm sorry, the ark. You know why? The things in heaven. God caught that thing up. Uh, the ark of his testament, there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the Spirit of God. And Tonight, Lord, as we look into these things, we need the Spirit of God to teach us. We ask you to open up these things to our hearts, to our minds, strengthen our faith in your words, and help us to realize, Lord, that you know it all. Uh, There's not a human being on this planet that knows it all. There's not a human being on this planet that can answer some of the most basic questions. Uh, Lord, simple stuff, like how are we even created, how are we even wired, what makes us a triunity? How do we know we have a body, soul, and spirit? I mean, just simple stuff about us we can't even answer, let alone all these things about eternity and the future and what's going to happen. And God, you've been there. You've seen it all. You know it all. Thank you for being a God that knows it all. And I pray tonight that you teach us a little bit, give us what we need, give us what we can handle, and help us to have our faith in this book in front of us and our faith in you strengthened and built up tonight. Speak to our hearts, we ask, and work in this service, we pray in a special way, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now we got to a Roman, Revelation chapter 11, and you're about halfway through the book of Revelation in this point. And what's very interesting to me, and I, Lord willing, I'm going to show you a little bit more next week about your Bible. But the interesting thing to me, I read this, and, and I, didn't just, uh, I didn't just read this, and, and I'm not just going to parrot it because I heard it from somebody that I obviously respect, although I don't know personally. But when I thought about what he said, I said, you know what, he's absolutely right, if you stop and think about it. Dr. Ruckman said, when it comes to Revelation chapter 11, you've got really one of the most important chapters in all of your Bible. And the reason is because chapter 11 of Revelation, I might have just said Romans, but I meant Revelation. Uh, I didn't? I said Revelation? Okay. Chapter 11 of Revelation unlocks the entire book of Revelation. And when you unlock the entire book of Revelation, you unlock the entire Bible. So 
Obviously, then, if this is the case, and if Revelation 11 begins to make sense out of the whole book of Revelation, and if, you know, the Old Testament makes sense out of the New, New Testament, right? When you read the Old Testament, you realize the New Testament's, you can understand it, and the New Testament unlocks the Old Testament. You see how God works? We showed it to you comparing Scripture with Scripture. Well, if this is that important of a chapter in your Bible then of course the devil's going to attack it. So that means to me it's time to slow down and make sure we drill down and make the points that need to be made so that you understand very clearly what's being taught here. Beyond that, what we're going to do and what we try to do regularly is teach you how to know you got the truth. How do you know the positions you've come to are the right positions? How can you be sure that you got the truth? Because a whole bunch of people come to the book of Revelation chapter number 11 and they start trying to make guesses at who these two uh, witnesses are. It's a big deal when it comes to religions. Uh, I believe the Mormons will say that it's the Bible and uh, the Book of Mormon. Those are your two witnesses. Uh, they believe in Joseph Smith. Well, I mean, some guy's vision. Well, where's the proof for that? How do you know that that's not right? Uh, as you run down through the different religions, it's wacky the amount of things that religions come up with. They will come up with so much stuff, it ain't even funny. And they'll open it up and they'll say, look at this verse. And they'll show you a verse and they'll twist your mind all up. They'll get you so confused. You'll, for, before long, all you're doing is getting really worked up and you're frustrated because you recognize that's not the truth that you're being given. But something inside of you now is unsettled. You're not peaceful anymore. You're not strong anymore. You get a little bit unsettled, a little bit nervous because you're like, well, how do we know we're right? And what does that really mean? And let's just let the Bible be the Bible. How's that sound? And we'll just read it like it is. We'll believe what it says and study what it says. And when you just believe the Bible and study the Bible, it's shocking how many things open up to you, you begin to go, wow, I mean, really, it's not that hard. I'll tell it to you again, excuse me for repeating it, but your Bible, and especially Revelation, is not that hard to understand. Sometimes it's hard to believe. Right? So, why do we believe the Bible? Well, we got a million reasons for that. But I'll tell you, if you, just, if you scrutinize the Bible in the light of whatever you want to scrutinize it in the light of, you'll come to realize that this is absolutely the Word of God. I love, I love looking up scientific facts in the Bible. People always accuse us Bible believers of not being scientific. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The Bible is not against science. It's against science falsely so-called. When you study real science, the creator of heaven and earth is the one that put science in place. He's a scientific God. And since he built it and put it in place, he knows a little bit about it. And it's shocking to me how many scientific facts are in that Bible. Long before science figured it out, they had it penned down in the Bible. And people that thought they were educated made fun of the Bible. Yesterday, on Friday night on the street, they're saying, uh, uh, um, somebody offered one of them a track. I think it was Gregor. And that was his first time ever out. He says, I've never even passed out a gospel track a day in my life. So this is the first for me. And boy, he jumped right in with both feet, man. I was so proud of him. He was like, hey, can I give you something that tells you about the Bible? Hey, you interested in the Bible? You, the, you want to know what the Bible says about going to heaven? Hey, and I, no, I'm, well, I don't know who he said it to, but one guy said, no, I'm intelligent. <laughs> well, you know, I'm stupid, so thank you so much because you know my IQ. That's what the world thinks of your God. That's what they think of the Bible. It's because they're uneducated in it. 
The more you study the Bible, the more you realize, man, this Bible is solid, boy. It stands up to every scrutiny there is. What they don't like about it is it reads you. When you read it, it reads you back. And that's what people don't like about it. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. There was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Now, wait a second. What's obvious about that verse? Folks, that's not the temple in heaven that we saw back in Revelation 8. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden incense. Uh, excuse me, a golden censure. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came up with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censure and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. What happened? He, that's, that's an altar in heaven. There's a temple in heaven. That's not the same as Revelation 11.1. 1. Look at Revelation 11.19. And the temple of God was opened where? In heaven. Well, that, that's a different temple than what you got in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Look at Revelation 1.1. 1. There was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it's given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. You see that? Folks, you're talking about a literal temple that's actually here on this earth. That, by the way, is not in existence right now. So at some point between where we're at right now and where we arrive in Revelation chapter 11, verse number 1, at some point... That third temple is built. The second temple's rebuilt. Hasn't happened yet, has it? Update on the building of the third temple. This is, uh, this is uh, jewishvoice.org. I'm going to do my best to see this. I'm, unfortunately, I'm too proud to wear my reading glasses in front of you yet because I just don't want to hear all the comments that I know are coming. But I do use them when I'm at home, okay? So this is real small print. Things are gradually changing. <laughs> Or maybe not so gradually, I don't know. Those who believe the scripture contains a literal fulfillment of the biblical covenants for the Jewish people and the land of Israel recognize rebuilding the temple is part of the promised future. In Jeremiah's presentation of the new covenant for Israel, we read, and then they quote a false Bible from Jeremiah 33, 14-18. The passage speaks about the messianic age when all Israel shall be saved and restored to the land of Israel. At that time, a righteous descendant of David the Messiah, comma, will sit on the throne in Jerusalem and the temple again shall again stand complete with its Levitical priesthood. If this be a future reality, is there any sign of preparation for the third temple in Israel today? Since 1987, when the temple movement began, preparations for the rebuilding of the third temple, efforts to see this become a reality in the 21st century, have been slowly progressing. While modern Israel and a large percentage of the Jewish people throughout the diaspora are secular, Orthodox Jews do not believe these people will play a role in the rebuilding of the temple, since it is a spiritual work. It is the Orthodox Jews who revived the Sanhedrin. 
the religious body that supervised the halshik, I believe is how you say it, it's the legal issues, related to the temple, and intend to see it rebuilt in a proper way. The importance to Orthodox Jews of rebuilding the temple lies in its role in the redemption of the world, which they believe can only take place once the temple is rebuilt. Gershon Salomon is director of the Temple Mount Faithful, an organization that has been trying to prepare Israel's society to accept and promote the rebuilding of the temple through demonstrations at the temple site. The construction of a cornerstone for the third temple and the making of various temple-related utensils, Salomon has said, building the third temple is an act which must be done to complete the redemption of the people of the Bible in the land of the Bible. I cannot imagine an Israeli state or Israeli life in this country without the Temple Mount in the center of this life. Albeit many religious Jews do not support this idea because they have adopted a diaspora mentality and a spiritualized way of thinking which sets aside hope and a literal fulfillment of the biblical prophecies regarding the future temple. For them, the present political situation on the Temple Mount with Muslims controlling the site is acceptable. Jewish leaders in the temple movement believe the Jewish people are not living on the spiritual level God intended because of the absence of the Shekinah, divine presence, from the world. Rabbi Richmond, director of the Temple Institute, which has produced all the ritual vessels necessary for the function of the temple and the works to train priests for this future work, says there is a connection between the need for a new level of spiritual attainment and the rebuilding of the temple. The Shekinah is brought about only through the temple. In terms of our mission as a people, we cannot in any way reach our spiritual status without the temple. For Orthodox Jews committed to the reestablishing the temple, both the present problems of the world and the problems faced by Jewish people will be solved only by rebuilding. And on and on they go. You can look it up for yourself later. You know what that's telling you? They are absolutely dedicated to rebuilding that temple in Israel, and they will stop at nothing to get that temple rebuilt. Now, what you're going to see as you go through Revelation 11, and as we run some of these other references, is that at some point in the tribulation, at least, the Old Testament sacrifices are reinstituted, and the Levitical priesthood is reset up, and that thing's rolling again under a Jewish Old Testament system. Now, watch. What's happened here in Revelation 11.1 is that temple's actually there. Now, here's the weird thing. If you got a seven-year tribulation where you're called out at the beginning before the seven years starts, before the great tribulation starts, okay? That means if the first three and a half did not take place during the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, then that would mean you're called out, and after you're called out, they begin building that temple. So by the time you get halfway through at the three and a half years, it's already rebuilt. Or if the three and a half, the first three and a half of the tribulation already occurred, under the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, you're going to see the rebuilding of the temple before the rapture. Which is interesting. But according to the Bible, both of those positions can be fiercely defended, and I mean, very well preached and well defended, that the tribulation, the great tribulation coming in the future is a seven-year period, but you can also see it from the Bible that it's only a a three-and-a-half-year period. And both of those positions can be argued by really smart guys that believe the Bible. And on both sides of that argument, they both have, well, I see your point, but there's this one thing. There's a couple things here. So it could, yeah, I think the Lord's done that on purpose, and I could be wrong. 
But I think the Lord's done that on purpose because I think he wants to keep the church on its toes. I think you can tell the, the seasons as a Christian. And as you study your Bible, you can see through a glass darkly. But I don't think you can actually date the rapture. I don't believe that. I think it's very possible that you and I may see the whole thing get set up and know that that rapture is coming anytime if you're in your Bible. The vast majority of Christianity will have absolutely no idea. They'll read this kind of stuff and they'll think, oh, the Messianic Jews are so great and, you know, they're Yahweh Jews and all the rest of this stuff because they're, they're messed up in the head. They're not in their Bibles. And they start believing all this stuff, thinking these guys are for you. These guys are, that, that, what, what were they looking for? What are these guys looking for? They're more obsessed with the temple than they are with the coming of Jesus Christ. And it's not even about Jesus Christ. It's not the, their Messiah. It's of the lineage of David. They're not accepting Jesus Christ as the one coming back. You see that? And they're all upset with the Jews, with the Muslims. And the Muslims are all upset with them. It's all set up, man, for a great tribulation, for wars and rumors of wars. Now, what we do see and what we do know for sure is that he tells them to get up and measure this temple, and there's an actual temple on the earth at this point that's been rebuilt. Look at verse 2. But the court which is without the temple, leave out. He said, don't measure that part. And measure it not. For it is, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. All right? So what's happening is the Gentiles are treading the holy city. What city is that? It's Jerusalem. Look at something really interesting. Look down at verse uh, 8. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's a holy city that's spiritually called Sodom and Egypt because they rejected Jesus Christ and crucified the Lord. It's Jerusalem. So when the Lord looks at it, that's his property. And from the Lord's standpoint, it's a holy city. But at this point, spiritually, it's Sodomite city and it's, and it's an Egyptian city because they crucified the Lord. They reject the Son of God. Look with me, if you would, please, back at Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew chapter 24. So at this point in the tribulation, you've got a temple set up. And you've got a restoration of the Old Testament sacrifices going on in the temple. Look at Matthew 24, 15. You've got God's people trying to turn back to God on some level. And you've got the Antichrist coming and stomping them out. Revelation, uh, I mean Matthew 24, 15. Wherefore, well, back up a second here. Uh, look, at, um, look at verse 6. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Uh, I think you're already seeing some of that. I, I know we're not in the tribulation, but I think you're already seeing some of that. Uh, it's not going to calm down, folks. The state of the world's not going to calm down. If they get Russia and Ukraine calmed down and they get your economy back on track and they get your inflation under control and do all the rest of that stuff, then you've got to start worrying about China. We're not even done worrying about Russia and we're already worrying about China. And you've got to worry about North Korea. And you've got to worry about the ability that these guys now have to push a button and, and cause great devastation all the way around the planet. Have you ever read up on what a nuclear war would cost or if one of those bombs was de detonated, what it would do to the world? Have you ever read up on the fallout of that stuff? That's some scary stuff, man. 
Well, guess what? You're not supposed to get all troubled about that. God told you that was going to happen, and it's sure enough already happening. And he says, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation. <laughs> well, it's exactly what's going on. And kingdom against kingdom. What's well, exactly what's going on? And there shall be famines. It's happening all over the world already. And it's coming to a theater near you. How many of you went grocery shopping this week? How many of you decided to have more than one kid? <laughs> it's crazy what those, what those bills are, are doing. You know, the real estate market's a complete mess. Typically what happens is when those interest rates go up, now I'm not speaking on anybody's behalf but my own and my own reading right now, okay? So if I say something wrong, it's not because somebody's putting the wrong stuff in my head, okay? I want to make that clear. I'm speaking on behalf of myself. Interest rates go up, and what happens usually to housing prices when the interest rates rise is the housing prices will drop because buying slows down, so it forces the prices down, so people start buying again. And they buy on a higher interest rate because they get a good deal, and then they refinance later when the interest rates drop, and it keeps the ball rolling. Well, right now you got your interest rates up, and they're staying up, and guess what your housing prices are doing? They're up, and they're staying up. You know why? Because nobody's moving out. Nobody's selling their houses. You know what's supposed to happen in the stock market versus the bond market. Stock market goes down, bond market goes up. Bond market goes up, uh, bond market goes down, stock market goes up. The guys that know how to handle money, they move one from the other and back and forth like that. And now you got a problem because the markets aren't doing based on each other what they're supposed to be doing. It's all a stinking mess, man. And you understand it's not a political thing. It's not just about the U.S. You look around the world and what's happening around the world, it's happening everywhere. The prices are shooting through the roof because of this foolishness going on with wars and with rumors of wars. I'm telling you, it's not going to get any better. Mankind, with all his solutions for the problem, seems to be making a bigger and bigger mess out of everything all the time. The brightest minds, and look, man, whether you like their positions or not, the fact of the matter is there's some very brilliant people that run the show. They know they forgot more about all this stuff than you and I have learned. You can read Fox News or CNN News or whatever news you want to read all day long and do all the research you want to do, but really think about what a chump you and I are compared to somebody who's been at it for 40 years and had the highest levels of education, knows how this stuff works and has the money to make stuff happen behind the scenes, and they can't control it. It's a mess. Famines and pestilences. Well, you just saw one hit the world. Whether you think COVID was real or not, people died. Oh, it was just people with underlying conditions. Well, I know some that had no underlying conditions. Healthy as a horse, strong as an ox. Last people on the world you'd ever think died. Oh, it was a cover-up and the government was doing it. Okay, is that a better answer? (laughs) If, If the government was covering up whatever was happening and brushing things under the carpet and stamping everything COVID that wasn't COVID... Oh, so that's, okay, great. So we're worried about nothing then, right? Or we got even bigger issues. Look, the conspiracy theorists will always be out there to mess with your head. The fact of the matter is people were getting sick and people were dying. Pestilences. In a first world country like ours, we went back in December before COVID hit. We, we, we uh, flew to Texas. And it was, uh, I don't know when COVID actually kind of got public. Does anybody remember what month that started? March or April? It was December we went to Texas, right? 
And uh, we were in the airport, and there was a massive group of Chinese people coming through, and they were all wearing masks. And uh, we were like, like cracking up. We were like, what in the world? These people don't realize that this isn't Beijing. You know, like there's not a bunch of, you know, smog in the air and all that stuff. You can actually take those off now. You're in the States. Uh, we didn't know that actually COVID had already been going on over there, and a whole bunch of them were on our plane. And then that Sunday morning, we woke up, and one of our kids woke up, and, and she's like, you know, we're at Grandma and Papa's, and she, you know, can't wait to get to church and all this stuff. She's not one of those that thinks sick because she doesn't want to go to church. And she woke up in the morning burning up with a fever and acting all funny. She couldn't even walk. Her legs were like, she, was, she came dragging herself. They were like, I can't use my legs. We were freaking out. We didn't know what to think. Well, you kind of like fast forward a little while, and that was one of the side effects that was hitting some of the kids in a weird way of COVID. And we all got sick before we even had any clue what was going on at all. Isn't that wild? I mean, the whole world says, forget God, get rid of God, get God out of here. And they don't want to acknowledge God because they're proud. Look, I'm not trying to be mean, but, but it's pride. It's, 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 you're afraid of something, man. You're afraid of something. That's what, it's fear. You say what they want, but I guarantee you something. When somebody doesn't want the truth, the truth, whatever the truth is, I want the truth. You show them the truth, you show them the Bible, I don't want that, I don't want to accept that. Why? You're scared of it. You read the Bible, it reads you back. It tells you things about you. It tells you things about the future that you couldn't possibly know. It tells you things about science scientists don't know, didn't know, and make fun of the Bible, and then hundreds of years later it comes true because science catches up with the Bible. See, we don't believe the Bible because we're idiots. We believe the Bible because we study. And it's hard to believe it sometimes because your heart doesn't, it's not hard to understand. It's hard to believe because your heart doesn't want to say you're right, God. But you look at what God's doing in an advanced world, pestilence spreading the world just like that. Earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations. You see, that's a national thing. You see that? That's Israel. For my name's sake. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And boy, you live in a hate-filled world. People will hate you just because of what you believe. People you don't even hate, people you love and want to help, will just hate you because of what you stand for. Be hated of all men, all nations for my name's sake, and they shall offend one, and then shall many be offended, and they shall betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And boy, that's it, man. Religion, religion, religion. They're getting up there and telling people what they want to hear to get the money out of them. Why? Because they're manipulating them. They're false prophets, and they deceive people, and people buy it, man. They buy it. They drink the Kool-Aid. And the Krishna's set up behind us the other day, and, and they start sitting there, and they're, they're, you know, they're supposed to be all peaceful, and we're all one, and everything's one, and all that stuff, and they're doing their bongo drums. And then they start getting up dancing, and they're doing their mantras, and, and then they're mocking the Lord in their mantras. I was listening to what they were saying. I didn't confront them. I didn't look at them. I don't want to fight with them. But I was listening to them. They were mocking the Lord and mocking us because we were preaching. And praising Krishna. You ever look into that stuff? You show me the science behind any of that. 
educated people. You show me the science behind that. Give me scientific proof that what you believe is true. It's all feeling. It's all emotion. It's all visions. It's all weird stuff, man. It's false prophets is what it is. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. When are you told that by Paul? Never. That's a tribulation period on this earth. God's talking to his chosen people. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to people in the tribulation period. And this gospel of the kingdom. Well, you got the gospel of the grace of God. You can get the gospel of the kingdom. That's a time coming in the future. Shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Watch verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop come not down and take any, not anything out of the house. Let not, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. What's that abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand where? In the holy place. You know what that is? That's the temple's been rebuilt. Just like I just read to you this article from Jewish Voice. Yeah, jewishvoice.org. They're, 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 they're obsessed with it. They want to get it rebuilt. Well, they get the job done according to the Bible. These guys don't even believe the New Testament. I'm showing you from the New Testament what they're going to do. They don't even believe this thing, but they're fulfilling it. <laughs> oh, you got you people that believe the Bible, you're just stupid, uneducated people, you know, you just you know, you just need a crutch. You're not very strong. Go to the book of Daniel. Daniel, if you would please, chapter number eight. Please forgive my sarcasm. I know you believe the Bible, so I'm don't think I'm offending you. I sure hope I'm not. Daniel chapter eight, verse thirteen. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? You see that? And the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden under foot. Well, what did I read you in 11, Revelation 11? The Gentiles are trodden them underfoot. The actual temple gets rebuilt sometime soon. It's going to get rebuilt, be rebuilt, and they're going to be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. Daniel eleven thirty one. Daniel eleven verse thirty one. And the arms and arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination which maketh desolate, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. One of the signs of a false preacher is he's flattering. False religions will flatter you. They speak softly. Satan did that. I don't think you've got to be mean and nasty and all that stuff to be a good Christian. I, I sure hope I don't come across that way. I think we ought to be gracious. Such your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt. But I am telling you that a Christian that believes the Bible has some authority on what they say because the authority is not you and me. We got our faith in this thing, in a Bible that's clear, that can be researched, that you can really figure out what's what and what's going on around you. And it gives you that, that authority. It's not that you have the authority. It's that you're under the right authority and you're submitted to that authority. And he's God. Amen. You guys realize God knows it all. Amen. You don't and I don't. 
and nobody that's trying to teach you does. He's omniscient, means he knows everything. He's the creator of science, so he's got the answers for it. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. That's one of the reasons I like it when you bring a Bible. And I like to answer your Bible questions, and I like to turn in the Bible, and you see something that confuses you or something you think is a mistake, I love it when you come and say, why is this and why is that? We're not deceiving you. We're not hiding nothing from you. We want you to know the truth. But the Antichrist, he's a deceiver. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, this is one good point to saying that what's left of the tribulation is three and a half years. Because he says he's first going to be revealed, which would mean it's entirely possible for you and I to see him step onto the stage. And we go, he says he's Jesus, but no, he ain't. Uh, the world is getting ready, if it's not already ready, for some kind of extraterrestrial from outer space to show up. What that, Folks, 10 years ago, that used to be the most asinine thing ever. 20, 30 years ago, people, when preachers talked that way, that there's a good chance that the Antichrist will show up on a UFO from outer space, an extra level of intelligence, and we've contacted them finally, and they're out there, and we knew something was out there, and the scientists have been saying that there's life on other planets, and we finally reached out to a higher life form, and they show up, you know, and step off a UFO somewhere in Jerusalem and set the thing up as Jesus come to solve the problems of the world, to fix all these issues, and brings in three and a half years of peace if the tribulation's a seven year, and the whole world believes him because three and a half years call everything down and no other thing could call it that's got to be Jesus and the Jews say our Messiah is here and the Muslims say no that's our 13th Imam and Jesus said yes I'm uh, this Jesus this fake Jesus says yes I'm both you guys just all believed your own thing but you're all trying to get to the same place and yeah 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 the Roman Catholic Pope he's absolutely right and I'm there too for them for the Christians and all that stuff and we're all trying to get to the same place anyways it's all about love and he shows up by flatteries and sweet talk Preachers used to say that's a good chance that's how it's going to play out. Nobody's saying that's exactly it, but we're saying that's a good... And people say, he's crazy. Nowadays, I tell you that the world's prime for being able to contact something in outer space. And people say, yeah, I've been watching the news. Mainstream news. Ain't that a trip? Now, a good argument for the first three and a half already being taken care of by Messiah, who was cut off in the midst of the weeks is this verse because it says that there's going to come a great falling away. We've already seen that. We're seeing that. Even saved people are falling away from the Bible and falling away from church, don't want sound doctrine. And, except, and, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. It's Judas. Judas Iscariot, come back. He got handed the sop, and he went to his place, and he's coming back. And so it's possible that you see him. But I'm not promising you that. Because it's also possible that he shows up right after you're gone and brings in three and a half years of peace before the last three and a half of it all coming unglued. And it's hard to nail it down exactly in my personal opinion. I'm not taking a position either way. And I don't know that God necessarily wants us to nail it down yet. He wants you to live every day like he's coming today and plan like you're going to die of old age. See, you thought I was going to say live like he's coming tomorrow and go cash in your savings and pay off our building debt before we start. 
You get that from the other religions. You're not getting that from a pastor that loves you and wants God's best in your life. I don't care about your money. I want you to love Jesus Christ and obey him and follow him, and I want to help you. Every last one of you, I want to help you. That's my goal. So live, live. When you get out of here, live like Jesus is coming back tonight. But plan like you're going to die of old age. Amen. Which means you've got to go to the cults to get that other stuff. Yeah, go, go, to, go to the cults if you want somebody that's after your money and all the rest of that stuff, trying to get you to drink the Kool-Aid. All right, verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. What's he sitting in? Oh. So Revelation 11, 1 is a literal temple on this earth because he's on this earth as God sitting in the temple of God. He's not in the third heaven sitting in a temple up there. He's sitting in a temple in Jerusalem. And he says, I'm God. And they all come to believe it. All right, go back to Revelation chapter uh, 11. Just a couple more, a few more minutes here. We'll stop maybe 10 more or so. <clears throat> so what's going to happen with that city is that it's going to be uh, not measured on the outside, and the Gentiles are going to trod that thing underfoot. Look at how long, 40 and 2 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. That's three years and six months. Verse 3, and I will give power unto my two witnesses. Now here it is. Who are these guys? And they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. You know how long that is? That's three and a half years. It's 42 months. All right, if you've got a 360-day year. And if any man will hurt them, or verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, here's the problem. All these people come to this passage as religions, and they try to make up who they think the two witnesses are. And you run into all kinds of religious dogma pushed on you by men Rather than letting the Bible answer the questions and letting the Bible be the Bible. You understand? We're not pushing our agenda in this church. And as long as I'm alive by the grace of God, I won't let anybody push their agenda. What we do is we believe the Bible. We're not looking to a religion or a man. We're looking to God. And he wrote the book for a reason. So what does the Bible say about these two witnesses? Now, first I'm going to give you the argument that some of you may have heard. They'll say this. They'll say, it's Enoch... And maybe Moses or Elijah, these witnesses. Now, this is, this is the Bible-believing crowd that gets a little messed up because they don't rightly divide the word of truth. It's not Enoch. Now, let me show you why. Go back, here, but let me give you their argument first. Go back to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. There's two witnesses coming back in the tribulation to preach. And the Bible tells us clearly who they are, but you've got to study your Bible to find it out. Hebrews 9.27, here's the argument. It says, and, it is appointed, and as it is appointed unto men, wants to die. But after this, the judgment. Now hang on. Every man, every woman, every child on the earth is going to die. You know why? God, God did not create you to die. When God made Adam and Eve, he made them to live forever. The Bible says God walked with them in the cool of the day. Coming to the garden, hey Adam, where are you? Adam's hiding one day. Why? Well, because of sin. 
You see, God told them not to eat of that tree. He said, for the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, they didn't die that day. They lived hundreds of years after. Isn't that weird? Because there's more than one kind of death. There's a physical death and there's a spiritual death. And what they did the day that they disobeyed God and sinned is they died spiritually. And as a result, when a man fell into sin, God said, I'm going to put a time clock on his life. I'm not going to let him live forever in sin. And folks, I'm telling you, that's a blessing. I don't like death. I, I can't stand death. I hate going to funerals. And I, nowadays, nowadays, funerals disgust me more than they ever did because you go into a funeral and people are so nonchalant about it. It's a loss of natural affection. It's, a, it's proof you're getting into the end times. It's a loss of the, the love of many shall wax cold. You go to a funeral nowadays and see everybody's cutting up and goofing off and laughing. They're more worried about getting out there, going having a drink or going to lighten up a pipe or something than they are about the person that died or the couple of people that are might, there might be devastated because they lost somebody they love. The love of many shall wax cold. Funerals are nothing like they used to be. But it's appointed on the man wants to die. Why? It's the mercy of God that you don't live forever in a hard world. This world's not easy if you haven't noticed. <laughs> I don't want to live forever in a sinful place. So it's appointed unto man wants to die. Here's the problem. But after this, the judgment. You ready for that? I sure hope you are. Verse 28. For so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear a second time without sin unto salvation. The answer is Jesus Christ. He's the perfect one. But the point I want to get out of that is I want to get this. You got an appointment with death, but guess what happened to Enoch? Go back to Genesis chapter 5. Enoch didn't die. So the argument is, since Enoch didn't die, he has to die. And these two guys that are witnesses in Revelation, when they come back and preach, they're going to get murdered. They're going to get killed. See that in the text we just read it earlier? So that's what they use to say Enoch's one of them because Enoch never died and it's appointed on a man wants to die. So since the Bible says it's appointed on a man wants to die, this guy has to die. But there's a problem with that. There's one exception when you study your Bible and compare Scripture with Scripture. It is appointed on a man wants to die. But there's one exception. There's one group of people that will never die physically. It's the group that survives to the coming of Jesus Christ to the rapture. It's the church. If you're alive and remain under the coming of Christ, you won't die. And God gives you a type of that back in the Old Testament. So once you read the very clear passages in the New Testament, the New Testament unlocks the Old Testament. You start reading through the Old Testament and you go, man, God was shrouding all that stuff in here and weaving all that stuff in here. All the way throughout the Old Testament, he's weaving in Jesus Christ. He's weaving in the church. There's stuff back here that he's weaving in a premillennial layout of the Bible. People tell you that the chapter and verse markings aren't inspired. I'm going to show you next week that they're on crack. They have lost it, man. You are not thinking clear. I'll show you next week proof the chapter and verse markings are inspired. They tell you the order or layout of the books doesn't mean anything. It's not inspired. Have you ever noticed the order and layout of your books is not chronological? It's aggravating. Because, man, you're like, wait a second. I mean, now I'm all confused, right? And the more you study this Bible, the more beautiful it gets because God purposefully did not lay it out in a chronological order because he's showing you prophecy. He's showing you end times things. This book right here, you can live your entire life and study it and get educated on it and never, never, ever get to the bottom. The Bible doesn't get boring. If you don't get the Bible, you're either lost 
I'm not being mean. You're either lost, you need the Spirit of God to teach it to you. Or you're saved and you're backslidden, or you're saved and nobody's ever taught you. Those are your three options. This thing's an amazing book, man. Genesis chapter 5. Look at verse 21. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. That's about right. Have your first child at 65. That means he was married at about 63. Sound good, girls? (laughs) Oh, they're downstairs. Bummer. They're in the nursery. (laughs) Anyways, that's me stretching the truth there. That's not what the Bible teaches. Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Reed's going to shoot me. (laughs) He's a good shot, too. That's not a good deal. I'm too far away. And Enoch walked with God in verse 22. After he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. How many days are in your year, Gentile? 365. In a Jewish year, I believe you got 360. But Enoch lived 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He got raptured out. He got translated. Look at the next verse. And Methuselah lived 180 and 7 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and 2 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and 9 years and he died. The guy that comes after Enoch, after Enoch gets raptured out, lives almost a millennium. What's coming after the rapture according to the New Testament? (laughs) A thousand years. Ain't that wild. Genesis chapter 5 is the worst first time death shows up in your Bible. Uh, you got it in, in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, 17, 3, uh, verses 3 and 4. But those deaths are spiritual deaths. Nobody physically dies. The first time people start physically dying is Genesis chapter 5. Guess how many people Enoch is from Adam? How many generations? Correct. He's seven. How many churches are being written to in the book of Revelation? Folks, I'm not making this stuff up. If you think this is funny, you just keep running, keep running, keep running with the Bible and all the different layers. We're not even going to have time. I'm going to stop with Enoch for tonight because i got to get into this Moses and Elijah stuff and show you how we know those are the two guys preaching and all the ways you can run it through the Bible. But it's impossible for a man to set this stuff up. It's impossible. Yeah, Man, if you've never read uh, Peter Stoner's Science Speaks, you need to go read it before you write off the Bible. I mean, if your eternal soul matters at all to you. If you give a flip at all about whether or not you go to heaven or hell forever. If you care at all about people around you. If you care at all, you should at least read that to see whether or not there's any validity to this stuff. It's amazing. There's more. Case for Christ. Guys that are atheists that didn't even believe God that set out to disprove the Bible. And the more they studied it, the more they were like, oh, this isn't even possible. This isn't even humanly possible. The math of this doesn't work. It has to be God. We're not making this stuff up. All right, so Enoch is the seventh from Adam, and there's seven churches. Let me give you a couple more on Enoch. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. Enoch is not one of the guys because Enoch is a type of the church, and Enoch is what? He's a Gentile. Because where does the first Jew show up? Genesis 12, right? 
God tells Abraham, I'll make thee a father of many nations. Uh, Abraham's the father of the Jews. Okay, well, Enoch was a Gentile because there was no Jews in Genesis 5. So what I'm telling you is we're going to see it next week. These two guys are two olive trees, and we'll run the references with you next week. Olive trees in the Bible is a type of Jew, Israel. These two guys are Jews. Enoch wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. Enoch's not one of these two witnesses. He's a type of you. He got called out and translated in Hebrews chapter 11. Watch the type. Look at verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Well, how are you saved? How are you translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son? How did it happen? By faith, right? <laughs> well, they mock you for that. You know, well, you, you faith people. I believe in science. So do I. And the Bible tells you what faith is. Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. What's good science? You collect the data. You look at the evidence and you work your way backward to come up with the fact based on the evidence that you get. Well, you know what a good Bible believer does? The exact same thing. You begin with the evidence. Faith has substance to it, and it has evidence to it. And where I put my faith? In a book that's proven to be the words of God. When I stand before God, I'm going to say it's because you said it, and that's why. I put my faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hmm. You're saved by grace through that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's your faith that saves you. It's your faith in a book. It's your faith in the words of God. But again, don't let somebody mock you like you're randomly putting your faith in some religion. You study that thing out and you find out you got the real deal when you got a Bible. You got something real. It's amazing, man. It just stirs my soul up. He was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Was he better before or after the translation? After. Every time the word translated shows up in your Bible, it's an improvement over the original when God's the one that does the translating. So I'll show you next week some stuff about the King James Bible as we go through here, because Revelation 11 unlocks your whole Bible. So I'll show you something, stuff about the King James Bible to show you that when God had that book translated from Hebrew into English and from Greek into English, and gave you one final Bible in one language, the universal language of the end times, which is English. We don't believe an English Bible because we're Americans and we're so arrogant that we think we're better than everybody else. We believe it because it's the universal language of the end time. When God moved it from the originals into this, guess what it is after the fact? When God does it, every time, if you just let the Bible be the Bible, every time God translates something, it's better afterwards than it was before. Chapter and verse markings are awesome. You know, looking stuff up in a Greek or Hebrew is tough. A Greek, they don't have all that stuff. And they criticize you, well, that chapter and verse markings aren't inspired. Wait till next week before you make up your mind about that. God did something amazing in that Bible in your lap. You got faith in something that's right. And you got faith that's real. Because the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And He gave you His Word and He promised He would. So He's, he's living by faith. Look at verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I'll tell you this much. There's an absolute fact to this thing. Uh, there's, there's not a human being on the planet that seriously wants the truth and asks God, whoever you are, 
to give them the truth that won't get the truth. Not a human being on the planet. The problem is, not a whole lot of people really want to seek him. They don't want him to say, you're a sinner and you're messing up. you got to change. Who are you to tell me what to do? Well, I don't know. I'm just God, that's all. And I'll do with your soul eternally what I want because I'm God. You can take it or leave it. That's a scary thought, ain't it? You live by faith, church. Thank God for that. And Enoch is a type of you, and it was faith that translated him, and he pleased God by faith. Sometimes you just got to step out and live by faith. Let me show you one last one, Jude chapter 14. Jude 14. This one shows you that Enoch was a premillennialist like you and I are. In other words, he believed Jesus Christ was coming back before the thousand-year reign. Jude verse 14, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Blasphemy in the temple. Blasphemy of Gentiles trying to stomp out the Jews. Blasphemy of the Antichrist. All that. You know what he saw? Nothing in that thing tells you Enoch saw Jesus come and die. Like your scholars tell you. It doesn't say that. It says what Enoch saw was the second coming of Jesus Christ and what's with him when he comes. Oh, you and me. <laughs> Enoch was premillennial. The Bible all the way back to Genesis chapter 5 is premillennial layout showing you the difference between the Jew and the Gentile and the church of God. We'll get into that some more next week. I'm going to get you out of here because I said 10 minutes, a little more than 10 minutes ago. So let's go ahead and stop there for tonight. We'll pick it up next week with these two witnesses. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed.